Fitness for the Fairways podcast, helping you make your body the best club in your bag. Joe interviews the best strength coaches, physical therapists, and golf professionals to help you take your golf performance to the next level. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Fitness for the Fairways podcast. I am your host, Joe Gambino. I'm a strength coach and physical therapist in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. I'd like to start this off by asking you guys for a little bit of feedback. I want to know what you guys think so far of the podcast how have the conversations been with guests, how these solos episodes have been, and um, just kind of get your experience and, and even figure out what you have learned from the show. So you can reach out to me, support at par4performance.com, or you can do so on Instagram at par4performance. And just shoot me a DM there and let me know what have you learned from this podcast? What do you like about it? And, and even share with me what could be better uh, because this is an ever-growing show. And as we can... Improve what's going on with the podcast, make it better. Um, I think that's going to be a, a win-win for everybody. But I want to give you all a quick update on my training and how that's been going. So the last three months have been a pure speed block. been using the super speed system for my overspeed training and then doing generalized um, strength and conditioning with the goal of sprinkling in some power work and some strength work in there. And as I don't have yet the data as far as driver and my clubs go, uh, within the next couple of weeks, I will be getting um, on the track man and, and gathering some data to see you know where I am in comparison to last year. But so far, if I'm just using the data that I'm getting um, each time I use the super speed um, in my training, right now I've hit a 60 mile power um, PR on the on the green club. And the last time I played golf, which is probably like two or three weeks ago, I was noticing at least uh, 10 yards on my drives on average. And so I'm I'm looking forward to getting on track, man, and and getting back into the swing of things because I was definitely a little rusty with my ball contacts. Uh, my irons were were not hit well in that session, so really hard to kind of gather any sort of data. So I'd like to to start to gather where my ball speeds are at, where my my club speeds are at, and, and really putting together a uh, formal decision on how this block um, really went. But I know for myself so far, just seeing what's going on with um, the super speed, my numbers with the green club, because that's kind of really the, um, thing that you're really measuring when we're, we're going through this. It's the green club, which is a little bit lighter than a driver. It's the lightest club in the set. You start off with three, um, you start off swinging that club and then you finish at the very end swinging that club after you go through all the speed work and you're really just trying to swing that puppy as fast as possible and, and, and gathering your numbers. So, that's where um, my data is right now, and I do know from a handful of people that are in the golf performance program that have reached out to me. There's a couple of people who have made huge strides on that and are getting their the green stick club head speed over 130, which is pretty damn impressive. So I'm, I'm really um, excited to see where they end up when they get back to the driver and, and what that's going. Um, so I'll have a lot more of that to, to come and talk about how the program is going. But if you guys do want to get involved in the the golf performance program, pretty much um, if you're tired of really having to put together your programs, not too sure what to do in the gym, just haven't really been seeing the results that you want, um, pretty much you're following along in the same program that I'm doing and we're kind of all doing the same program in the group. 
there are regressions and progressions built into everything. So if you find something challenging or it's painful, there's an option for you to, to switch to another exercise of a similar category so that you can still get in the same workout and not have to um, worry about kind of doing something wrong or, you know, something that might injure you. And there's always the option for you to upload videos for coaching within that app. So if you are unsure about what's going on or you're not really sure about how you're performing an exercise or wondering if you're doing it right or wrong, all you have to do is record yourself doing the exercise, upload it, and then you'll get instant coaching from me. So it's a, a great thing. Like I said, if, if it's something that um, you've either been considering working with before um, or you're looking for a change in your workouts, I think this is a, the perfect way to go. You can head to www.joegambinodpt.com backslash golf performance and you can learn more about it there. I'll leave the links in the show notes for you guys so you can check it out. And also since I've been talking about super speed, if that's something that you have been interested in, um, I have a coupon code for 10% off. I will leave that in the show notes as well. Just go ahead and check that out. And if you decide to do um, super speed or even get their launch monitor or anything that you happen to put into that order, um, you'll get 10% off the entire order. But from here, we're actually doing a new segment on the podcast. I'm calling this guy the Research Corner. Uh, so pretty much periodically as I'm reading through research, I'm going to uh, pretty much summarize it up for you guys, let you guys know what I'm reading in there, break it down for you guys, and then give you guys a little bit of the clinical pearls that are attached to it, how I'm utilizing it within golf performance training or just rehab or, or whatever it is. So um, I'm kind of looking forward to this. It will keep me a little bit more honest with uh, reading research or at least reading some research reviews and um, you know, sharing what I am uh, reading with you guys. And I think that's going to be important for those of you who are listening, who are in the industry, either golf performance or rehab. And even for the general listener, if you guys are not in the industry, I don't think that this is going to be over your head. I'm pretty much going to be breaking it down in as simple terms as possible and um, sharing what um, the research is kind of indicating as far as what we should be doing within our training. So if you are writing your own training programs, um, you know, you can use this information to to better program for yourself or for your clients or for whomever um, it is that you're you're working with. Um, so, this article that we're going to be going through today uh, talks about the effects of physical activity and inactivity on muscle fatigue. So, I'll leave all the information about the article and the link um, inside the show notes. So if any of you guys want to read the full article, you're more than welcome to do so, but you're going to get the pretty much a, a summary through here. And this was a research review. So, um, they pulled from the literature, um, and they kind of talked about a lot of different things on how physical activity can improve or affect muscle fatigue. And they also go into how inactivity, um, impact on fatigue as well. And this all kind of stemmed, I was looking for articles that talked about, you know, do muscles turn on and off? We hear that commonly um, within the fitness industry, within the rehab industry, um, where, oh, hey, your glutes are turned off and that's why you have back pain or that's why you're not swinging the club fast. And I think that's a mis misnomer in, in term. Nothing really turns off. If, if a muscle was to completely turn off, you would be literally on the floor because that's the only way bones will, will move or get you walking or help you get off the couch. Um, so in this article, we'll, we'll actually get into, they, they, they do touch upon, 
the idea of why um, there are muscles that don't activate um, where your maximary voluntary contraction is not as high as it should be um, or within normal ranges. And yeah, well, I'll, I'll leave that here and we're going to kind of dive down that rabbit hole then because uh, I don't want to kind of break it up and talk about it now and then talk about it again later. So pretty much this research article, it talks about how physical activity can create structural, metabolic, hormonal, neural, and uh, molecular adaptations that can increase the level of force that we can produce, the power that we can uh, produce, and um, when we're talking about fatigue, we're talking about what we can, how much force or power we can produce and be sustained by a muscle with repeated bouts of, of activity. Um, and, and these adaptations that we're talking about here with physical activity are dependent on the type of activity that we're doing, the intensity, the volume, things like that. Inactivity, whether it be due to injury, uh, being sedentary, those can result in decreased performance. So we're talking about decrease in muscle size, decrease in oxidative capacity, decreased force output, um, et cetera. So what we're pretty much talking about here is, you know, what the importance of training is and, and figure out what type of, of workouts or stimulus that our body needs for the particular goal that we're working for, whether that be golf performance, whether that be for life, um, and how injury and inactivity can hinder your performance, hinder um, really your well-being and, and even contribute to um, disease and things like that. So we'll actually go now. They actually define what muscle fatigue is as far as what they were looking at within this article. Um, and this is any decrease in muscle performance associated with muscle activity at the original intensity. So say you were um, they do a lot of, um, uh, sprinting work. So if you were, you're sprinting or running at a, a specific speed and at what point are, are your muscles showing that, um, you're lacking endurance or you're showing fatigue. If we were doing, um, a test and you were benching 150 pounds and at what point at that original intensity do you start to see fatigue and slow down and, and do motor units start to fatigue. So that's what we're talking about here, um, with that definition and, now, really, what uh, it's pretty obvious, right? When we're talking about sport and exercise activity, um, you know that fatigue um, really can come into play. But fatigue and decreased um, this de- decreased muscle fatigue is actually found in um, a lot of people who have certain diseases and health conditions, those who are sedentary, and these are the things that can impact everyday activities. It doesn't just have to be physical activity. Um, so physical activity is really a major contributor to decreasing everything that we're talking about so far. So the effects of exercise training, they are powerful for sports performance and also our health and well-being. And this is why one of P4P's motto is that we're not just trying to make you a better athlete, but you know we're trying to make you a better human as well. So we want you to, to be at your best on and off the golf course because for all of us, right, I mean, we love to play the game of golf. We want to do our best while we're playing the game. Um, but at the same time, we also live lives. We have kids. We have jobs. We have you know recreational activities that we like to do. And the ability to be able to maintain all those pain-free um, and without hindrance, right? I think that is a, a huge component of of what physical activity can do for somebody. So, you know, and that's why we're powerful, you know, everything that we do at Powerful Performance is to improve both what we are doing on the course and off the course. 
So the next part of the article talks about um, starts to break down muscle fatigue in individuals with different training backgrounds. And I think this is actually a really interesting point and starts to show, um, you know, the case for for aerobic training for, for a lot of us. Um, so they looked at previous studies um, and they looked at how training history has had an impact on muscle fatigue. So the studies looked at power trained athletes and endurance trained athletes athletes and then they also compared it to untrained athletes. The power athletes were shown to have a 25 to 35% higher uh, maximum voluntary contraction so they're able to create um, force that's higher and quicker than um, endurance athletes or untrained athletes. So that's important you know when we're talking about clip head speed and things like that the ability to create high amounts of force and speed that's going to be um, important there. But what they did show is um, when they compared it to the endurance athletes, even though they couldn't uh, produce as much force, there was a slower rate of muscle power decline in the endurance athletes versus the, the power athletes. And this is kind of obvious, right? If you're an endurance athlete, you're going to be able to uh, maintain work for a longer period of time. That's kind of what endurance is. Um, and this has been tested with repeated sprint bounce. So if you're taking an endurance athlete and starting to have them to sprint, you know, you would, uh, I would imagine, or I think a lot of us would imagine that there would be a pretty big fall off and that sprinters would, you know, do better if that's what they're training in. But what they found is that the endurance runners had a 37% smaller power decrement over five, six second max sprints with 24 second rest as compared to, um, the team sport players. So these endurance athletes are showing lower post-exercise blood lactate concentrations. And what they're believing with this research is that it's because they can take in more oxygen during the sprint um, tests and that aids in the recovery process and re- reduces the metabolites that build up within the muscle fibers, allowing them to be able to sustain activity for longer periods of time. And this is why I think we all need to kind of let go a little bit of the, of the fallacy that power athletes um, won't benefit from aerobic training. If we can maintain high levels of power and force production and build an aerobic base at the same time, that will help um, improve fatigue in these athletes. Um, you know, this is, you know, I think this is a aerobic is, you know, and having good oxidative capacity that's going to, you know, pretty much keep away cardiovascular disease and things like that but it's also you know what we need as humans to to survive and and from a recovery standpoint and what the rest of this article starts to talk about um having a aerobic base is extremely important for for recovery so i think that when we're talking about the importance of of speed training right where this is kind of the the big thing within the industry right now um being able to maintain high levels of speed your entire round not getting fatigued towards the end where your technique breaks down um i think that having this higher aerobic base can definitely help you make it to those later um Later holes, or if you're doing multiple rounds within a weekend, getting through all of that without getting fatigued, then definitely help reduce your injury risk. All right, so factors that modify fatigue and phys- physical activity. Um, so there are a whole bunch of things that they talk about here. The first one they talk about is muscle fiber types, um, type one, which is our slow um are slow type fibers, they are more for endurance. And then we have type 2A and type 2X fibers. They are fast type. They're the ones that are, are helping us with, with strength and power output. Um, and what this article showed was that type 1 um, 
fibers, they contract at a four to five times slower speed than type 2X fibers, but the type 2X fibers fatigue uh, much more quickly and they rely much more heavily on the ATP PCR system. And we'll get more into that uh, a little bit later. later. Then there is a um, ionic uh, regulation component. So this is the buildup of hydrogen ions with lactic acid and and lactate, which can decrease the pH and contribute to fatigue. And they also show that the concentrations of potassium and calcium um, within the muscle is actually a pretty high contributor to fatigue within the muscle. So um, things that physical activity and the type of training that we're talking, we're going to be talking about in here can start to improve these qualities. Um, oxidative metabolism we talked about to energy supplies. Um, recent years, the data is starting to show that a, a significant co- contribution um, of oxidative metabolism to energy supply during short bouts of all-out exercise like sprinting. Um, and they're showing that max effort if you did 10 six-second sprints there is a 70% decrease in the contribution of the glycolytic pass- pathways, um, ATP, PCR, all of that. And that the final bouts of these um, these um, repeated bounces of sprinting is actually maintained through oxidative metabolism or the aerobic system. So again, right, starting to show that why um, or how um, having an aerobic base can actually contribute to um, improved fatigue, improved endurance, um, and improved uh, performance. Um, the rate of phosphocreatine resynthesis, this is pretty much our ATP PCR system. Uh, phosphocreatine is what needs to break down in our body to uh, pretty much resynthesize ATP. And ATP is pretty much the um, building block for energy. All right, so if you think of ATP, pretty much just think of it as energy. That's our source of anaerobic energy. And um, the rate of ATP resynthesis during recovery is needed to sustain future bouts of exercise. And oxygen is needed uh, for faster PC uh, phosphocreatine resynthesis, which you're needed for ATP resynthesis. So again, right? Yes, this um, we can do a lot of training that's going to help improve the ATP PCR system, right? But also having contributions from the um, aerobic system is going to be uh, beneficial here. And there are neural factors that they talk about. And this is where I was kind of leading to at the beginning of the podcast, where most people, um, voluntary max, the for most people, max voluntary contractions between 80 to 100%. So maximal contractions would be considered 79% or less, and it's extremely uncommon in adults. Um, Surprising, and I thought this was interesting, it is found mostly um, in children. Children normally create submaximal voluntary contractions, and that is one reason why they have more energy for activity as compared to adults. So this is why they could uh, run around this um, all day and feel like they never get tired. And I thought this was an interesting point. I didn't know that before reading this article, and um, now you guys can use this during your next part at the start. So it sounds smart as fuck to your friends, and uh, you know, bring uh, bring some fun facts out to the table there because everyone's uh, sitting down at their parties talking about um, neural factors and physical activity for for different individuals, right? But back to the neural factors and how max voluntary contraction can impact things, and those who um, are on the lower spectrum of the of how much pretty much their max voluntary contraction that they can create. This is showing that they can't activate all their type 2 fibers. This is causing an overall decrease in force that can be created. And 
this is what we're seeing when people have injury um, or their people are saying their glutes are not activated. It's that they're just not getting enough neural drive to those areas, um, which training, strength training can, can definitely start to improve. And, you know, we're talking about a decrease in type 2 fibers, which are needed to produce higher levels of force, power, and speed. Um, and, you know, when we're talking about increasing club head speed, incre- uh, improving our performance, decreasing our injury risk, right, being able to um, have good neurological control um, is going to be important for all of those factors, not just increased club head speed, but to feel better, for you to function on a day-to-day basis, for you to enjoy other things outside of the golf course. So, um, you know, strength training, and this article ends up talking a lot about hit training, and, and we'll get into some of those details, but all of these things can really start to um, improve, right, our overall performance and, and, and multiple facets, right? We're talking a little bit about... Um, Improving aerobic capacity, which helps with um, better endurance. We're talking about um, being able to have better um, ionic regulation within the muscle, so that they can they can function better f- within this standpoint. And we're talking about having improved um, neural connections within our body that are allowing us to produce more force and actually get. Um, you know the maximum amount of of effort and work out of your muscle, which is what's you know, supposed to be normal, which which some people can have, um, you know, impacted, especially if you're living a sedentary life, if you've had an injury recently or even in the past, right? All these things are going to change how we move and how our nervous system functions. So this article starts to talk about changes in fatigability following exercise training. So they're showing that with training, systematic changes in functional demand on your skeletal muscle will result in adaptation. Um, this is why our workouts should not really be random. They should be focused on specific goals because whatever we're trying to create from an adaptation standpoint, we want to be training within the, that realm. Whether, you know, right now we're talking about fatigability and endurance for repeated bouts of exercise, but whether it's for hypertrophy, pure strength, whatever it may be, um, whether it's increased club head speed, so we're working on having, um, you know, being faster and our power output's increasing, right? It all depends on the goal and what we're trying to work on. So depending on the stimulus provided from a muscle, um, provided to our body, right, and our muscles are taking that, we can have an increase in muscle size, muscle fiber type. So we can convert type 1s to type 2s or 2s to type 1, um, increase in enzyme act, um, activity, changes in muscle activation, and all of these can help reduce um, fatigability in the long run since that's specifically what we're talking about within this article. Uh, so skeletal muscle fiber type shifting, um, due to training. Uh, so our fiber type is, uh, um, in large part dictated by genetics, but training can, can shift these fiber types and it is reversible. So if you did a lot of training and you made all these adaptations and then you became very, um, inactive for a period of time that this would actually reverse in process. Um, and that makes sense, right? We're talking about how we can use load, force, exercise, movement to create a um, adaptation in our body. If you take away the stimulus um, or don't load the body in a way that's going to continue to create those types of adaptations that you're going to unadapt and your body is always trying to find um, whatever's 
you know, most energy efficient. So if you're not using it, your body is going to lose it. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about this um, with mobility training, right? If you don't spend time touching base with certain positions, the mechanoreceptors in those areas are going to break down because you're not using them. And that's one reason why we lose range of motion over time is just because you don't really use it. So that's pretty much how the body works. If you're, if you use it, if you stimulate it, you challenge it, it can adapt in a positive way. And if you underload it, don't load it, um, it's going to adapt in a negative way way um so this article they they talk a lot about hit training and its effects on fatigability and all the things that we've talked about so far so high intensity training can cause changes in fast twitch fibers um, they have a positive impact on ionic balance um, that help decrease fatigability. There's an increase in oxidative metabolism. So using HIT training, we can actually get um, better aerobic capacity. So we can use that to our advantage. It's more time efficient than aerobic work. Um, and and um, doing HIT training can also improve ATP and PCR resynthesis. So they looked at a study that um, looked at four to seven repeat bouts of 30-second sprints with four minutes of rest. And what they showed was there was a large increase in oxidative enzymes within a six-week period of time, and they showed increased endurance capacity by 100%. And these results were similar to long um, doing long-duration aerobic work, and HIIT training could actually also improve someone's VO2 max. Um, but <clears throat> I don't want you guys to, to sleep on low-intensity training. It was a 20, there was a critical review done in 2010 um, by Lorson, and it suggests that high intensity training should be held to about 15% of training volume. And they looked at this in endurance athletes, higher level endurance athletes, um, and saying that the stresses that are placed with high um, HIIT training um, do not need or should not be, you know, the bulk of the training. Um, and that low intensity, long duration aerobic work should still be incorporated. And now if we're talking about us as golfers, we don't need a ton of aerobic work. So you can have some in there and, and usually within my training programs, I'll have periods of time where I'm doing a little bit more, um, aerobic training. So I'm getting on my bike and I'm doing multiple miles, um, or maybe I'm doing mile runs or two mile runs or whatever that may be, then the rest of my energy system training is coming from HIIT training. And then the majority of training program for golfers should be more revolved around strength training, speed training, power training, mobility training. Those are the meat and potatoes that should probably make up in itself, um, you know, really depending on what the goal is for that that period of time, but should make up the bulk of your training program. And then you're filtering in some of this energy system development work as well um, to kind of round out everything and making sure that we're, you know, staying healthy, we're feeling our best and that, you know, from a recovery standpoint that we're optimizing that, right? So, and on that same note with recovery, right? Focusing on sleep, nutrition, hydration. Um, those are also other important factors, right? So now, just kind of stepping outside the scope of this article, but kind of looking at the big picture, right? Um, that's how we should start to be, um, really how we should start looking at things, taking this, taking a step back, looking at all the different components that are going to impact recovery um, and impact our performance. And then how can we lay that out over the course of time to continue to create the adaptations that we need? So the article finishes off talking about the effects of physical inactivity on muscle fatigue. And they defined 
detraining is a period of insufficient or reduced training stimuli that causes a reversal of adaptation. And this will cause, as we talked about before, decrease in muscle cross-sectional area, decrease in muscle oxidative capacity, decrease in your VO2 max, decrease in the glycolytic enzymes, and a decrease in capillary density. So all the things that we kind of really want within our body so that it can function well, physical inactivity strips all those things away. And they talked about immobilization and disuse, and we've talked about this on the podcast a bunch where immobilization or bed rest um, is probably one of the worst things that your body can ever go through. So immobilization will cause muscle atrophy and decreased functional capacity. Um, on top of that, you'll also get decreased um, neural activation. So when you're coming out of uh, being casted or if something happened to you maybe during COVID where you were you know stuck in bed for multiple days at a time that's going to significantly significantly impact um, your health and you know we can you know I think really where this article is starting to show is that we can kind of go through all of these things and go through HIIT training um, to improve aerobic capacity we can do a lot of different things to really reverse some of these things. Um, so deconditioning due to sedentary lifestyle or cardiovascular disease can pose barriers to normal physical activity. And, you know, so a lot of things that can happen from a health perspective, you know, we can use physical activity to improve those qualities. And again, right, this is all going to come back to, you know, figuring out where somebody's starting point is and what can we start to do to load them up and get them better, right? Someone who has cardiovascular disease um, probably is going to be a candidate for really high intensity training. Um, but there are things that we can start to do to improve their cardiovascular health, whether that's getting more more walking in, because that will do the trick. Um, whether that's just getting in some strength training, whether or not that is doing things that are going to spike the heart rate or keep it elevated for a period of time within what their capacity is and letting the adaptations that we talked about in this article start to play out. So the, the take homes within this article is there really is nothing new in this article. Uh, but it's showing the importance of training energy systems for both cardiovascular health and performance and using strength training as a complement with HIIT training, low-level aerobic training, and really trying to build a robust energy system um, that is going to be needed for, you know, as I said, performance and health. It also highlights the importance of staying at active and not being sedentary. Not only does this cause decreases in strength and increases our fatigability, but there are neural elements that lead to decreased muscle activation that can lead to dysfunction and pain. Thanks for tuning in, guys. And as we talked about before, there will be a couple of links in the show notes for you guys. There will be a link uh, for... The Golf Performance Program, if you guys are interested in changing up your training program, we're using philosophies that you're seeing within these articles within there. It's not all thrown in in every single month, but every three months, the goals of the program are shifting. So as we're coming out of the power block and we're going into the next block, it's going to be 
more of a movement and hypertrophy block that we're going to be going into. And it's just going to start to be increasing the amount of reps that we're doing because we've been in a strength block for about six months now overall uh, with the reps being lower. So it's it's time to start switching um, that up and changing those goals. And over this time period, there's probably going to be um, a little bit more energy system work. So we're probably going to be getting a little bit more hit training within that. Um, so I'll probably be running that program within the next week or two and I'll have better information there. But if you guys have any questions about it, you can always reach out support at par4performance.com or shoot me a DM on Instagram at par4performance and we could talk about it there. In the show notes, you'll also have the link for super speed where you can use that link to get yourself a set. If you want to do some overspeed training for yourself and you can get 10% off using that link and the promo code that um, I'll have attached to it. Um, but I think that's it, guys. Again, if you guys have any feedback on this type of article of podcast segment or anything else from this podcast, I'd love to hear from you guys what you've learned, what you've liked, what could be better. And I'll see you guys back here next week.